0: Det är den bästa Carlsson. Carlsson, Carlsson. Hoj här kommer Carlsson. Carlsson, Carlsson. Ingen faktiskt ingen annan Carlsson spelar så bra som mig. Carlsson, Carlsson. Carlsson scores. Carlsson. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys' own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, with me, as always, Brian Calm.
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. This is a big episode, and a lot of leagues' playoffs are about to start next week. I know it's true in the cup full. If it's not true for your league, you're definitely ramping up for the playoffs, this is a key moment in your fantasy hockey season to figure out how you can go all the way
0: yeah and obviously if you're a listener of keeping carlson that means you've clinched the playoffs in at least one of your pools at least i'll assume i hope but yeah we have a huge episode this week brian there was so much that happened last week the trade deadline was back on monday feels like forever ago we'll cover some of those trades also so many injuries with major fantasy impacts Okay, but before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by DobberHockey.com, the best fantasy hockey website. The place you have to go to see the impacts of all of these trades and injuries, and it's all covered there. Great articles. Of course, you've also got your starting goalies. You can subscribe to notifications for starting goalies for any team, so you'll get an email as soon as a starting goalie is announced. Sometimes that can be key if you need to make a streaming pickup. You could also see all the line combinations in real time of all the games. We've said it all season long. We still believe it. We use it to prepare this show and to prepare for our teams. So. DauberHockey.com, it's the place to be.
1: Frozen Pool, an invaluable resource to preparing for this show. You get a long list of everything you need to know about a player's fantasy value, their ice time, their share of their team's power play time represented as a percentage, points, of course. You've also got hits and blocks, everything you need over at DauberHockey.com and Frozen Pool.
0: All right, Brian, so I was thinking at first that trades would be the main number one fantasy hockey headline of the week, but I think I'm going to go with injuries, because these are some major injuries with big implications, like I said, and I want to start in Edmonton. Doesn't seem like it should be a big deal, but Benoit Pouliot is injured, out for the year, and we talked about him a lot when Connor McDavid came back and said, this is a guy you want to add, because at least he's going to be riding coattails with McDavid and Eberle, great position on the line, but he's injured, and who takes his spot? nail Yakupov the guy that we said leave him for dead he's done he's in the bottom six but of course now with Pouliot injured Yakupov gets that prime spot next to Connor McDavid and Jordan Eberle on the second line there's also some intrigue with the first line but let's start with Yakupov Brian does he have fantasy value now since he's moved up to that line he's got a goal he hasn't done too much he did score that one goal but the potential it's so tempting what should people do
1: the potential is very tempting
0: because he did have a productive run
1: earlier in the season when he was in the top six, but there was a huge lull in underlying numbers, as you might expect, between the time Yankupov was last playing in the top six and his current stay there. After hitting his season low point in shot attempt totals in the month of February, they have shot up once again since he's seeing time with Jordan Eberle and Connor McDavid. And January and February, you said leave him for dead, Elon. He was dead. Neil Yakupov was dead in those two months. He did nothing for any of us, and all of his underlying numbers were totally
0: in the tank, too. He was a dead fish like Will Sims, too. Little deep cut survivor reference.
1: <laughs> his own personal scoring chance numbers are still in recovery, but as could be expected, he's physically on the ice for a whole lot more scoring chances and shot attempts overall. So here's some really deep, rich analysis. It's a good thing to play with Connor McDavid and Jordan Everly. Unfortunately, Yakupov does not have a ton to show for it yet. He's shooting above his season average lately. That's a good thing, though it only takes more than two shots on goal per game to get ahead of his season average. He has that one goal, like you mentioned, Elon. He's still not on the first power play unit. He's on a very weak second power play unit. So for now, he's more of a keep watching kind of guy than an ad right now.
0: And yeah, of course it depends how deep your league is because it is obviously a lot of potential playing with those two guys, like we've said. How about we'll just kind of keep a list as we go through the episode talking about some of these waiver wire options. Maybe we could rank them. And another guy who might be an option to you... You know, last week we talked about how Teddy Purcell was traded, which opened up a spot on the line with Holland Dreisaitl, and we thought that was going to go to Zach Cassian. It did go to Cassian for a couple of games, but Edmonton acquired Pat Maroon at the deadline, and he's in that spot, and he's got a goal and two assists in two games so far on the Oilers, playing with Holland Dreisaitl. And this is Pat Maroon. This is a guy who wasn't doing anything all season with Anaheim. So maybe the first comparison question I could ask you, Brian, is who would you want right now between Maroon and Yakupov?
1: The acquisition of Pat Maroon by the Oilers is actually interesting, because we've known him as a pretty decent complementary player who can contribute alongside top linemates, as he did with Getzlaff and Perry for parts of the last couple years in Anaheim. Not a whole lot doing with them this year, of course, they got broken up, Getzlaff and Perry, and there were lots of scoring woes on the Ducks as a whole. But it's funny that a similar description suits a guy the Oilers sent away at the deadline, in Teddy Purcell. Now, they might be different players. Maroon hits a lot, while Purcell never does, and the Oilers, I think, like guys who can use their size that way, but it seems as though the role that they can fill for the Oilers is somewhat similar as either a third piece of a top six line or a solid piece of a bottom six line. I don't know if it's exactly accurate to look at the whole thing as a swap of Purcell for Maroon, but... If we did it anyway, you'll see that the Oilers also jumped up a round in the draft by doing it. They shed $3 million in salary. They gained two years of team control. So looks like it all works out for them if Maroon can do his job in that top six, which so far he is. It's very exciting. I think in the short term, Elon, I'll go with Patrick Maroon because he's doing something while Yakupov is not. And we've all definitely spent our fair share of patience on Yakupov in the past. I don't feel like he's a guy I want on my roster While I wait and see, I feel like I'd rather leave him in free agency while I wait and see and try and ride the hot streak of Maroon for as long as it lasts. If Yakupov gets going and matches Maroon's numbers, then I'd probably make the swap. But until then, I'll just go with whoever's scoring the most points.
0: That's fair. And also Maroon will maybe help a bit more in peripherals. Like you said, he gets some hits every once in a while. Three hits in the last game. Seven penalty minutes, actually. So if you're in a league, that counts Pims. We don't talk about Pims that much, but that would make Maroon a very sneaky ad of course, it's not like he was getting many penalty minutes in Anaheim, but he was hardly getting any playing time in Anaheim. His minutes of 16 minutes and a half in the last game for Edmonton against Columbus was his most in a very long time, so obviously his roles increased. More time to get hits, more time to get penalty minutes, and hopefully more time to get points as well. So that's Edmonton. Let's travel east to Ottawa. Another big injury for the season. Kyle Turris is being shut down. He came back from his injury a while back. and just did absolutely nothing. At some point, we had to say he's probably playing injured, and clearly he was. So definitely sorry to people who picked up Kyle Touris. Was thinking they had a sneaky ad for the fantasy playoffs because he'd clearly break out because of his awesome history of being able to produce but he's done this is really good for some players on ottawa though specifically mika Zabanajad jumps up to the top line to play with mike hoffman and bobby ryan also J.P. pajot and zach smith have been playing on a very productive line now with mark stone In fact, of those three guys I mentioned, Zibanejad, Peugeot, and Smith, it's actually Zach Smith that's been the most productive lately. He's riding a four-game point streak, but still great positions for the other two. So, Brian, let's hear your rundown of these newly potentially valuable fantasy players in the Ottawa Senators.
1: When we heard that Tourist was going to be shut down for the year, we looked straight to Mika Zibanejad, but lo and behold, Jean-Gabriel Pajot is the one that emerged, or should we say continued to emerge, because he picked up two goals on seven shots, which actually marked the end of a season-high six-game point streak for him, and also the high watermark of his recent ice-time totals. And talking about ice time, the same goes for Zibanejad. He played 25 minutes in the first game that Tourist was out, but since that game... He and Peugeot have both returned to their usual high teens levels in terms of minutes. One reason for that, of course, is the arrival of Scott Gomez. I like how I said, of course, as part of that, but you would have never guessed that Scott Gomez would be playing for the Ottawa Senators or any team in the NHL at this point in the season, so God bless Ottawa for giving guys another chance. Gomez is playing in the bottom six, but he's helping balance the time on ice that's being distributed. Among centers in Ottawa, so you can't expect 25-minute games from Zibanejad or 20-plus-minute games from Peugeot, as long as they do have four reasonably capable centermen. But going back to the initial point of all this, neither one has really had sustained success with tourists out of the lineup. I guess it's hard to do on the sends right now for most people. There is one line that's clicking, and one surprising part of that line, Elon, you mentioned him already, Zach Smith. He's somehow one of the hottest sends right now five goals and three assists for eight points in his last eight games, and that's a run that includes a three, a four, and a five-shot game, which is a really big deal for a guy who's essentially averaged one and a half shots on goal per game this season. Mark Stone is really the only other senator who's done better recently. He has three goals and six assists for nine points in his last eight games played. There is one senator who is decidedly not hot. His name is Mike Hoffman. He was benched. In the third period of last night's game against Toronto, not even seeing 11 minutes of ice time that game. Season low for him. And if you look just at his production, I suppose it sort of makes sense. He has just 12 points in his last 28 games. He's fallen very hard off the point-per-game pace that he carried through to the end of December. When asked about it, the coach Dave Cameron said that he's going to play the players that give him the best chance to win every night. So apparently Dave Cameron is a believer that Chris Neal, Ryan Dezingle, Matt Pompel, Nick Paul, and Alex Shazon all give the Senators a better chance to win than Mike Hoffman, which is very concerning for anybody who owns him in their fantasy leagues. With playoffs around the corner... Hoffman is actually entering snoozer territory if you own him you need to start looking around your free agent list and seeing if there are any hot streaks that you want to try and ride because waiting for Hoffman over the last couple months has essentially been an exercise in futility and we're not seeing the situation improve with a benching last night.
0: Yeah, but sometimes when a player gets benched, they get hot afterwards. It's like a wake-up call. And he did have five shots and four shots in the two games before this bad game against Toronto. I definitely waited at least a game or two more before benching Hoffman. So, okay, Brian, let's say people have guys like Zach Smith and Peugeot and Zabanajad available in their leagues. Is there any of those that you would say that they should jump on right now heading into their fantasy playoffs? To me, I would think Zibanejad is the obvious choice. Then again, Zach Smith is the one on the hot streak. And like you said, Peugeot just went off of his six-game point streak. So all three of them have some intrigue.
1: So the one I would go with first, it pains me to say, but it's actually true if we're just looking at hot streaks. It's got to be Zach Smith. Peugeot and Zabanejad haven't gotten a point in their last two games. Zabanejad actually has been dry for a good chunk of the last little while. And he had no shots on goal against Toronto in his most previous game. So I think you can probably set him aside, even though I think he's the best player of the trio. Right now, he's not cutting it. He and Zach Smith are the two guys who are on the first power play unit, which makes me lean to Zach Smith a little bit. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but he is having success playing with Mark Stone. And playing with Mark Stone is a good place to be. Peugeot is in the same situation, but on the second power play. I can't believe I'm about to do this. I'm going to pick Zach Smith for the very (laughs) short term.
0: He gets a very short leash. Brian, man, you changed so much throughout the fantasy hockey season. At the beginning of the year, you would never be suggesting to take Zach Smith, even if he were on a four-game point streak. I guess because it's playoff time, you just look right to the last like three or four games when making your decisions, as opposed to looking at a larger sample size. For me, I would take Sabanajad for sure.
1: Totally. At this point in the season, my strategy shifts from taking the long view to taking the short view. It depends on where you are in your league standings and how you foresee your next playoff matchup going but I definitely adjust my valuations on players going into the playoffs. It is much more heavily weighted on the last one or two weeks than it is on the last
0: two or three years, as opposed to the start of the year. All right, yeah, it definitely makes sense, and Zach Smith has been hot for the last couple of weeks, like you said. So, all right, you heard it here first, guys. Go grab Zach Smith. Let's move on to some goalie injuries now. A couple short-term ones first, but let's just mention Henrik Lungfist. Left a game with neck spasms, and he threw the net. It was a whole crazy thing. Word is, it's short-term. Apparently, the Rangers have already sent down their third goalie. Ranta might play today, but I think Lundqvist is going to be there in the near future. So, if you rushed to grab Ranta when Lundqvist was injured, that was probably a smart move. And we all remember last year how Cam Talbot got an extended run. But it seems like you could probably look elsewhere now. You could drop Ranta for someone else. Maybe you drop him for... Andrew Hammond, and since we were just talking about the Sens, Craig Anderson was injured, but apparently it's also short-term and he might be back next week. So maybe where you want to go is to New Jersey because apparently Corey Schneider might be out long-term. Apparently Schneider will be evaluated today, so we'll know more later. It's a lower body injury. In the meantime, Brian Keith... Kincaid is the guy you would want in New Jersey, and of course, the only reason you ever want a New Jersey goaltender is because that goaltender is Corey Schneider, and he puts up amazing numbers even if New Jersey's not that good at scoring or winning games. That's gone down even more now that they've traded Lee Stempniak. Kincaid on the season, only a 9-10 save percentage, though he did stop all six shots he faced after Schneider got injured against Dallas. So, is there any value in Keith Kincaid? If you're the type of person who picked up Antti Ranta when you saw that Lungfist was injured, or you picked up Andrew Hammond, would you now drop one of them for Kincaid? Who is this guy, anyways?
1: Keith Kincaid is a guy who has not played very much in the NHL. I remember last year, I took a quick Twitter poll in his first appearance of the season, and I said, Pop quiz, does anybody know the name of the New Jersey Devils' backup goaltender? This was soon after some more Goldie's board happened as well, and I got one correct response and that person spelled his name wrong. So that's essentially who (laughs) Keith Kincaid is. He's had a decent save percentage at the NHL level. I really can't say much about him. There's so little to go on. He was undrafted, signed an entry-level contract with the Devils in his sophomore season with Union College, according to Wikipedia. And in the NHL, he really hasn't had a chance to make a mark. So I guess we can wait and see what he's going to do. There's nothing saying he's going to be a not-good goalie, but there's nothing to suggest that he's going to be a good goalie either. He did have... A solid relief appearance stopping all six shots against Dallas on Friday night. But aside from that, he hasn't done a whole lot to make me think he is an above average NHL goaltender. Or even necessarily an average one. We'll see, but we know how much of the heavy lifting that Corey Schneider does for the Devils and what he does for them in net. So if you had Schneider and you're going to add Kincaid and you're like, I don't even care about the saves percentage. I just want to get a lot of saves and maybe as many wins as Schneider would have gotten me. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the Devils can win as many games without Schneider in their net. You could throw anyone in there. They probably wouldn't win as many games as they would with Schneider in net. Kincaid is still a little unproven, to say the least. And you can add him but do it at your own risk in the sense that we have no idea what we're getting. And there hasn't really been any reason to think that he's an up and coming prospect. The guy's already 26. It almost reminds me of the situation for backups from Marty Broder back in the day when he played like 60, 70 games a year and the backups would come and go and you'd never even know their name. Scott Clemenson comes to mind, though he got to do a little tour of the NHL at one point in his career to get a little better known
0: okay yeah so it sounds like you're saying this is a Montreal Carey Price type of situation where Price got injured and we thought that you could bank on the Montreal backup to still get a lot of wins just like Price was but then Condon and Scrivens haven't been able to keep the winning ways coming and New Jersey hasn't even had the winning ways that Montreal had when they had Carey Price healthy so yeah not a great option in Keith Kincaid how about we just talk about a couple of other goaltending options that you might have we really have to mention the situation in Colorado at this point Semyon Varlamov has been just brutal and it seems like he's lost his job at least for the short term because calvin pickard has been fantastic varlamov in his last nine games has an 889 save percentage like i said really really bad and calvin pickard he's started the last few games he has a 930 save percentage in the last 30 days his last three starts have all been above 920 he lost yesterday against Nashville, but he made 35 saves in the process, so it wasn't a bad game. Brian, we've run into the situation a lot on this podcast where there's the clear starting goalie, and he's getting sat for a little bit. It happened with Halak, and we said you should add Grice, and now Halak is doing great. So is Grice, but like, is Varlamov a Halak where you think that he's going to get his job back before too long, or has Pickard actually stolen the job, and will he be the number one goalie in Colorado for the rest of the season? They are fighting for a playoff spot right now. They need to go with the hot goalie if they want to have a chance to make the playoffs
1: well here's more of late season brian coming into play here because most of the year if this happened at any other time i'd say okay pickard might get a handful of starts in the near future maybe he'll go on a run but at the end of the day varlamov is going to be the king of the castle in Colorado, but I recently added Pickard myself. I'm a believer that Calvin Pickard has the net for as long as he keeps playing well. He has been the more reliable goalie for the Avalanche this year, of course. He's played a lot fewer games, hasn't been subject to the same, you know, huge defensive ebbs and flows that have happened over the course of the season in Colorado, but looking at his quality start numbers, he's put up a quality start in about 64% of the games that he has started this season. Semyon Varlamov, by contrast, has only put up a quality start 45% of the time that he's been in net. So essentially, you put Semyon Varlamov in net this year, and you've got less than a coin flip's chances that it's going to go in your favor. And that's why I think that the avalanche might be done with Semyon Varlamov, for the short term at least, they're in a contested playoff race. Varlamov has not shown any measure of consistency this year. Unfortunately, it's been quite a bad one overall for him, but it opens the door for a streaking Calvin Pickard. I actually traded Mike Ribeiro for Andrew Hammond in my cup full league when I heard that Anderson was injured. When I heard that Anderson might be coming back, I dropped Hammond for Calvin Pickard and I think I might keep Calvin Pickard on my roster even once Anderson is healthy, which is not something I was planning to do with Hammond. I think he's a really good short-term add if you're looking to gain an upper hand in goaltending stats in your early playoffs.
0: And you know, Brian, you keep talking about short-term with Pickard, early playoffs. Can we just look at his career now? He came in last year, I remember, when Varlamov was injured and had an amazing run. He had a 9.32 save percentage last year. He has a 9.21 save percentage this year. Why is it that when guys like Hellebike and Gibson come in, we say, grab them, and like in a keeper league, you must hold on. These are the future. Like, Calvin Pickard has the same or better numbers than these guys in a keeper league or looking even long-term Why shouldn't we expect that Calvin Pickard can keep up what he's doing to some extent and maybe become a really solid goalie in the NHL?
1: Although he was drafted in the second round of the NHL draft back in 2010, he's never quite had that blue chip mark on him or that pedigree that guys like Hellebuck and Gibson have carried with them into the NHL. The other reason that I'm not necessarily as sold on Picard as being a starter going forward is that Semyon Varlamov is a very good NHL goalie. You look at the Hellebuck situation... Andre Pavlik and Michael Hutchinson are not very good NHL goalies, so there's a path that's open for him there. Same thing in Anaheim. It looks like they're ready for him. Calvin Pickard still has a huge roadblock. I think the best he could do in Colorado is to work his way up to 1B. He's never really been someone who's had a ton of success at other levels of hockey. He's been a nine seventeen goaltender in a few seasons in the AHL in fact one year was 906 so he really hasn't dominated there I can't expect him to come in and dominate in the NHL without seeing more from him
0: all right well so far so good let's see how he finishes out the year definitely I agree with you to grab Pickard in the short term I might be even more bullish on him long term but obviously that also depends on Varlamov like you say another goalie you might want to look at Jimmy Howard is it worth talking about him again because Peter Mrazek has not been great lately in his last 10 games, he has a 9.06 save percentage. And this is a guy we were talking about as like one of the best goalies in fantasy this season, but he's really fallen off at a really bad time for you Morazic owners as the fantasy playoffs approach. And then you have Jimmy Howard who hasn't played very much, but in his last three starts going all the way back to February 15th he didn't do very well against the Islanders. Then he came in in relief for Morazic, didn't let any goals in against Pittsburgh, and in his last two games against the Rangers, 9.67 save percentage of loss in overtime. I remember that game. It was like a one nothing game, so he only let him one goal then he came in a couple of games later against dallas the high-powered dallas stars and he led in two goals got the win 39 saves so with morazic struggling howard doing pretty well albeit in a very small number of games and again another team fighting for a playoff spot does jimmy howard become someone that you should be looking at in the short term and maybe how would you compare him to calvin pickard
1: You know me, Elon. I've been very patient with Jimmy Howard. Into this year, I still thought that he could surprise. He was a great late-round pickup in people's drafts. I thought he was slipping way further than he should have been. I was wrong about that, because Peter Mrazek has proved himself way better over this season, and really last season, too. And while the last couple starts from Howard have been impressive, they are not nearly enough to change my mind. I still think Mrazek is going to be the goaltender going forward in Detroit, even in the short term, I think Howard is maybe going to get one or two more games in, collapse, and then Mrazek will come in and do what he does best, which is stop shots. His last couple of outings have been very impressive. I'm talking about Howard again now. But that game against Pittsburgh, Elon, where you said that he stopped all the shots he faced, he faced six shots in 11 minutes of play. So let's not get too excited about that. Two very good starts from Howard A win and an overtime loss. If you're looking for goaltending starts in the next one week, you might consider adding him, but I don't think we're far away from another big letdown from Howard. And that'll be an opportunity for Mirazic to step back into the crease.
0: So there you go. So Pickard over Howard. The calm has spoken. Also, I guess, obviously, like I said, forget about Ranta, forget about Hammond. But you know what you shouldn't forget about is SeatGeek, our great new sponsor of Keeping Carlson. SeatGeek is a great site for buying tickets because they take all the frustration out of not knowing what the final price is going to be until you get to check out with SeatGeek. The price you see is the price you pay at the end, no hidden costs. And they make it even easier to buy tickets because they pull all the tickets available on on other sites into one place so you're gonna find a good price for the game that you want to go to
1: yeah i book hotels this way i book airplane tickets this way so why not sports and event tickets this way They take all the tickets that are available on other sites. They put them in one place. You save time. You don't miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events. And then SeatGeek is going to let you know
0: if ticket prices fall. And if that's not enough, like we said last week, you can get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase if you enter the promo code KEEPING when you make your first purchase at SeatGeek. So no time to lose. There's a lot of exciting playoff races happening. And maybe you want to see your team clinch the playoffs. So download the SeatGeek app. Put in the offer code KEEPING, get your $20 discount, and tweet us a picture of yourself at the game! But okay, back to the show. Still more injuries to discuss. I still want to talk about some trades, but these injuries, ah, uh, they're so frustrating, but they're so important to understand the impact. We have to go to Dallas. Patrick Sharp, this guy we've been talking about the last few weeks, because, you know, we were like, he was slumping, but maybe it was because Spezza was out, then Spezza came back, we're like, maybe you should grab him again. Now Sharp is injured, and the reason why this is important, if you have Sharp, now he's injured, so hopefully you could just stash him, you don't have to worry about him for a little while. But the top line, once again, has a new member. This time, it's Brett Ritchie, who's been called up from the minors and he's playing with Ben and Sagan at least in the last game on the top line also John Klingberg got injured which is horrible hopefully that won't be long term we don't know yet but word is it might not be for too long but of course that opens the door to Alex Goligoski, who's been on the top power play with Ben Sagan Jason Spezza and Alish Hemsky, believe it or not, is on the top power play right now. He hasn't done much with it. I wouldn't grab him. But Brian, Brett Ritchie, Alex Goligoski, thoughts on if people should be jumping on these guys? I guess Goligosky is probably already owned in your league and he's been pretty good all season and he's good for peripherals. I guess let's dig into Brett Ritchie though. Is this a good short-term ad or is this just like a Nichushkin where he'll be on the top line, then he'll go off. We won't even remember he was there.
1: Brett Ritchie is a 22-year-old former second-round pick of the Dallas Stars, and he's had some success in the AHL over the last couple of years. He has 49 points in that league in 68 games played. Last year, he got an extended look in Dallas. He played 31 games Only nine points in those 31 games. But his most common linemates in that run were Sean Horkoff and Curtis McKenzie. So we can't draw any real conclusions about how well he can play with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben. It does say something that he was put up there while Cody Eakin is still in the lineup and Colton Sevier is still in the lineup. The Stars are obviously taking this opportunity to see what Richie can do in a top six role. And I think anyone playing with Sagan and Ben is capable of going on a nice little run. We've seen all kinds of players do it who do nothing the rest of the time, like the aforementioned Sevier and Eakin and Patrick Eves and Valerie Natchushkin. occasionally. If you're in a deep league and you have a streaming spot open, I think you could use it on Brett Ritchie. It might be jumping the gun a little bit since he's only spent one game there and we don't know what the next game's lines look like quite yet, but keep an eye on the lines and if he sticks there for another game, gets a good 15 minutes or so in with them, it seems like he can at least get a point here and there if that situation sustains
0: itself. Of course, like you said, the big question is if that situation can sustain itself. In his first game on that line, he didn't have anything to show for it points-wise, but he did play Eleven minutes, took three shots on goal, five penalty minutes, eight hits. So there is value even for peripherals, and the points should come if he could play with Ben and Seguin. But like you said, that is the big question: is if he's going to be able to stay there. Someone to keep an eye on in the short term. One other injury I'll mention: there's still actually a few more. One other that we could dig into a little bit. Apparently Nikolai Ehlers, who we were excited about getting on the top line. Uh, I feel like I'm repeating myself here, but we were excited about Ehlers on the Jets. Now he's injured maybe long term. He has an eye injury. We'll know more next week. So now this Jets top line, which started the year as little lad Wheeler, is now Wheeler with Shifley, who we talked about last week as a guy you should add. And he got a hatchet yesterday. So definitely we were right about Shifley. Hopefully you grabbed him. And now it's Drew Stafford getting a chance there. A guy who we've been big on for a lot of the year. Then we were... Down on for a bit and actually i should say it was me who was big on him brian's never really liked drew stafford but hey he's got points in two games since joining the top line he's also on the top power play right now brian is it time for people to once again consider looking at drew stafford
1: on the patron cast elon i'm pretty sure i got out ahead of this and said that drew stafford is somebody to watch With all the Jets talent either leaving by trade or by injury, there is a place open for him right now to produce. He's going to get back into that top six. He already is, and I'm not surprised to see him put up a couple points there. We know in the right situation he can produce. Of course, his production is context dependent, which is the big caveat that I always throw out there, but this is the right kind of context for that production. So no, I'm not terribly down on him, and I think he's worth a look if you're looking for a deeper ad on
0: your team. Okay, and I really want to stop talking about injuries. So I'll just mention Brandon Saad is injured right now. Also, apparently yesterday, Brandon Gallagher got injured for the Habs. This is in a game where Alex Galchenyuk took Thomas Placanek's spot on the top line. So it looked like a really good situation for Galchenyuk playing with Pacioretty and Gallagher. Now Gallagher might be injured for a while. We'll see. This just happened yesterday. So now the guy there is Sven Andraghetto playing with Galchenyuk and Pacioretty. So maybe that's another guy to look at. And obviously, we've already talked about Galchenyuk and how he's come back. Is a definite own in fantasy if you don't have him yet. Brian, I don't want to talk about injuries anymore. Let's go back a lifetime ago to last Monday when the trade deadline happened and talk about a few of the trades that have made an impact so far. We have to start in Colorado. They traded Tange for Bodker. There was also some picks and prospects involved. Whatever. We all thought this was a great situation for Bodker. He got points in his first two games there. He's playing on a line with Landeskog and McKinnon. He's on the top power play. Great situation for Michael Bodker, who was doing pretty well for a while with Arizona before slowing down, but definitely he has much better linemates. You'd expect that he'll be able to put up points. What we didn't expect is Alex Tangay to go to Arizona, and in his first game yesterday, he had two goals and an assist. Maybe Tangay's the guy that has the value in this trade. He has more points than Bodker in only one game, and Bodker's played three since the deal Tange was playing with Duclair and Vermette. I don't think that'll keep up. Let's just analyze both players in this trade. Brian, what do you think? Should people be grabbing Bodker? What kind of pace can you expect from him for the rest of the year? And then we'll get to Tange.
1: This is good news for Bodker owners. He had a long, dry spell. In fact, a couple long, dry spells in Arizona since opening the season with a couple. Or was it a few hat tricks that really got us all excited? made us believers, but if you take those away, his season hasn't been terribly impressive. In fact, even with all of that, he's really just on a 52-point pace on the season, which is nothing to write home about. Of course, it is fantasy relevant, and it's something that he has already kept up in Colorado with two points in three games played with them. Of course, the situation in Colorado is going to be a little better. There is a greater variety of linemates that he can play with, probably some better opportunity as well, which equals better opportunity for scoring all around. His plus-minus will also not suffer quite as much as it did in Arizona. At least we should hope. He was a minus 28 this season in Arizona. Not a really great number if your league counts that. So this offers a little bit of respite to his owners as he moves on to a new location, although he is already a minus two in three games with Colorado. So maybe that excitement for an improved plus minus is premature. Alex Tongay, in his Arizona debut, on the other hand, led all Coyotes forwards in individual shot attempts and also was behind only Anthony DeClaire in individual scoring chances. Of course, he had points to show for all of those shot attempts and scoring chances, so good for him. Good start. He did take a parting shot as he left Colorado. He said he's looking forward to going to a team that is well coached. Oh. So take that for what <laughs> it's worth. Maybe he's going to be a little happier, maybe a little re-energized as he enters the desert.
0: Yeah, Tanke is a guy who we were surprised about last year. He had a really nice season, ended with 55 points in 80 games for Colorado. This was a guy who we thought was pretty much done after moving from Calgary. This year, it hasn't been as good. Less than a half point per game in Colorado. We'll see, like you say, what happens in Arizona He should have an increased role. And you know, Brian, the guy on Arizona who I was hoping to have these breakouts, like Tangay, we talk about him every once in a while on the podcast, Martin Hansel, who we talked about when he was on one of his trademark hot streaks the last time. He's gone cold, ice cold lately. Probably you're thinking of dropping him. I have him in the Cucupful to keep in Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. I probably should drop him, but I really like Arizona's schedule next week. Colorado... Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton are four games they play up till Saturday. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So three off-day games. It's such a nice schedule. I'm going to hold Hansel. I hope I won't regret that I'm not going to be dropping him for 10K, but i got to conserve the moves.
1: I have Hansel also. I didn't expect him to be one of my bottom roster guys at this point. I added him a couple weeks ago looking for good minutes and good power play opportunities. Not a whole lot to show for it right now. Quite disappointed with his recent production. I'm going to give him another few days to get it together, but if not... I might be ready to drop him as well. He is definitely
0: entering snoozer territory. Yeah, a lot of guys in Arizona who have been good at one point in the season are currently cold. But like I said, if you have your playoffs starting next week, maybe stream an Arizona player because yeah, Colorado, Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton, not the greatest goaltending, maybe aside from Colorado with Calvin Pickard. The next trade I wanted to talk about is Eric Stahl, who got traded to the Rangers for picks and a prospect. And really, the only reason to bring this up is because people might have rushed to grab him, thinking, well, he must now do better than he was doing in Carolina, which was not that much. He's got no points in three games so far. And in his last game, he was playing on a line with Stahlberg and Oscar Lindbergh. So like the third line, it's not looking currently like Eric Stahl is being positioned to make a big impact on the Rangers. Looks like he's being used as a depth guy. Am I missing anything, Brian? Or is Eric Stahl like a for sure snoozer at this point?
1: Yeah, New York has not presented a better situation, at least production-wise, for Eric Stahl. All words coming out of Carolina at the deadline where that Eric Stahl was happy and excited to be leaving Carolina, going to a contending team, maybe where he felt a little more valued, a little more relevant, but fantasy relevance is not what he's gained by moving to New York. Like you said, Elon, he's playing on the third line. He's seen season lows for three consecutive games in ice time. He hasn't even hit the 15-minute mark in his last two. He's seeing a lower share of his team's power play time. Essentially, I think he's there to stabilize... That middle six. When the move happened, we talked about how he's not going to New York to be a first line center. He's going there to be a second, maybe third line center because they already have Broussard and Stepan. They have other options. They're not just going to vault stall up the lineup because they can. And it looks like for now he is sitting on the third line. Maybe if they need to do a shake-up in the near future, he gets a look at second line. You'd be expecting a whole lot if you think that he is going to be on the first line for any extended amount of time, at least at center. I don't know how they're going to shuffle around their wings, but I'm feeling pretty confident in saying that he is going to be a second or third line center the rest of the way, and his fantasy value somehow takes a hit going from a low-scoring Carolina team to a lesser role on the Rangers.
0: Right, yeah. So definitely sounds like someone that you should consider dropping if there's an attractive option in free agency. Maybe someone we've already talked about. Maybe someone we'll talk about right now. Let's talk about another trade that happened. Lee Stempniak got traded from New Jersey to the Bruins for picks, and he goes right into a fantastic role. Unlike Eric Stahl, Stempniak is getting the Tongay treatment. He's playing with Marchand and Bergeron. Actually, it's much better than the Tongay treatment. He has three assists so far in three games. It was actually only one game that he played for the Bruins, when we had our patron cast last Wednesday, and he didn't do anything in that game, and we said, um, I don't know about Step-Niak. like, I wouldn't get too excited. I'm eating my words. Also on the Dauber hockey fantasy impact, they said that they thought Stepniak value is going down. So I think we all keep underestimating Lee Stepniak. but yeah, two good games in a row for him with his new line on the Bruins. Brian, do you think he'll be able to keep this up? What kind of pace do you expect from Stepniak for the rest of the season? Should he be added?
1: Underestimating Lee Stepniak is the story of his career. It's been done by NHL teams that have him. It's been done by opponents. And it was recently done by us, although my rationale for not getting overly excited about it was that this is the third consecutive year that Stepniak becomes a rental at the deadline. Two years ago with Pittsburgh, he had 11 points in 21 games. Last year with Winnipeg, he had 10 points in 18 games. Neither of those paces, terribly impressive. So it's great that he's off to a very good start in Boston, of course. This might be a very good opportunity for him compared to what he had in Winnipeg. But in Pittsburgh, he played that run of 21 games where he had 11 points with Crosby and Kunitz. So this Boston situation might not necessarily seem better, but it started better. I think he's probably one of the better ads. Him and Bodkar were probably the guys whose value jumped the most on deadline day, in my opinion. And he's definitely worth watching and considering and adding if you had an empty roster spot waiting. I don't know if you can expect such a great pace to continue, but he is on a very good line. It's a line different than the lines that he's been playing on in the last few years. So I'm very interested to see what happens. I wish nothing but the best for Lee Stemniak and think he makes a reasonable ad if you want to take that chance.
0: Yeah, I would definitely prefer Stemniak over Eric Stahl for what it's worth right now. So if you have Eric Stahl in your lineup and Stemniak's a free agent, that means you probably have some thinking to do. Another guy who maybe we wouldn't have expected to make much of an impact is Jamie McGinn, who got traded from Buffalo to the Ducks for a pick and he got slotted in right with Corey Perry and Ricard Raquel on I don't even know what line it is on Anaheim right there's the Getzlaff line there's the Perry line there's the Kessler line one of them has Jamie McGinn with Perry and Raquel like I said he's played three games so far has two goals and an assist he actually got all those points in his first two games with Anaheim nothing yesterday against LA though he did pick up 10 penalty minutes and three hits so again just like Pat Maroon he's someone who's on a great line and could give you some of those peripherals Jamie McGinn is a very interesting guy to look at right now. He's also on the second power play for whatever that's worth on Anaheim. He even gets blocks. Like, he has four blocks in his three games on his new team. And that's not something you can generally expect from a forward. So Jamie McGinn becomes a really interesting add. Brian, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on him, maybe compared to Lee Stempniak and Pat Maroon, who was on Anaheim. Did Anaheim upgrade? I didn't even consider this. Did Anaheim upgrade Pat Maroon to Jamie McGinn? Is that an upgrade? Maybe this was
1: all like an unofficial three-way deal between Edmonton, Anaheim, and Florida. And I don't know, it's a little messy. Okay, probably not the case. But McGinn is in a better position in Anaheim. You can see it right away. If you look at the differentials for shots four in his short time with Anaheim so far, it's better. When he was on the ice in Buffalo, he was usually facing more shots than he took, In Anaheim, it's the other way around. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's taking more shots overall. Although, spoiler alert, he is. He has six shot attempts, four in his last two games with Anaheim. He was averaging just about one or two per game with Buffalo. Good news for him to be playing with Perry and Raquel. Gets a little bit of a bump. A bit of a deeper cut than most of the guys we've talked about so far. But we have seen him be hot for nice little runs. We talked about him at the beginning of the year with Buffalo. We also said the same thing for him in Colorado. Not exactly a point per game guy, not something you can expect from him, but you can expect maybe a point here or there, especially if he's playing with Perry and Raquel, and he
0: does pick up some peripherals to go along with that. One red flag though for McGinn, he's only played 10 minutes and 44 seconds to 10 minutes and 19 seconds in his last two games with the Ducks. Of course, one of those games was against Arizona, which was a blowout, so they didn't need him to play so much, and he did have a goal and assist, and then in the last game, he had that 10 minute penalty, so... Maybe that's too small of a sample size to be concerned about. Don't forget, McGinn did have a nice opportunity earlier in the year. He was playing on Buffalo with guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane or Sam Reinhart. So that explains why he was able to put up little runs in Buffalo. No reason to think he can't do it in Anaheim with similarly talented linemates. I'd still prefer Stempniak, but if McGinn is available in a deeper league, he's definitely someone to look at. And okay, yeah, there were still some other trades at the deadline that we haven't discussed. We discussed a few last week. You can go check that out if you didn't hear it. We discussed some in the Patreon cast, but we've got to move on now to some hot streaks, some players that we need to discuss in this episode, and we have to start with Hatrick Pornqvist. Sorry, Patrick Hornfist, but he did get a hat-trick. He's been on fire. This is a guy who, at one point in the season, we were discussing as a potential snoozer, he was off the top six in Pittsburgh, if you remember, playing with just nobody's I don't even remember their names but right now Hornquist is playing with actually I was gonna say Crosby and Kunitz because that's who he had been playing with for a while apparently in the last game Pittsburgh shook things up a little bit it was Hornquist with Crosby and Carl Haglin, and then Kunitz with Kessel and Malkin either way Hornquist has been playing with Crosby and he has nine points in his last five games that is scorching hot I wouldn't be surprised if next week he ends up being one of the three stars of the week which Rotoworld always likes to tell me about on Mondays he's getting great minutes he's on the top power play, tons of shots on goal, he even gets hits Hatrick Hornqvist. <laughs> oh <my laughs> I love that name. That's a name that one of the patrons came up with, and it just cracked me up so much. It makes you giggle like a schoolgirl or a schoolboy. I love it, because he got a hat-trick. I love Patrick Hornqvist. He's great. I don't know what to say. Obviously, if he's a free agent in your league, grab him. But more so, I just want to say, for the people who held on to him through those dark times, congratulations. You are reaping the rewards.
1: I was one of those Hornqvist owners at my wit's end. In the cup full, it's a pretty deep league. I was days away from dropping him. I had a couple drops to make just before he ended up being my surefire bottom roster guy. It was very close. I'm glad I hung on to him as long as I did. But his cold play went all the way through December. And then finally, in the new year, he started to pick it up. And you can see it in his scoring chances, in his shot attempts, in his high danger scoring chances. Everything has been really good since we turned over the calendar to 2016. Of course, it really peaked right around late December, early January. But since then, it has not gone back down to the depths that it was in October and November. We're looking at a reasonably stable, sustainable rate of scoring and production and all those other underlying things that we'd like to see from Patrick Hornquist right now. Of course, having fantastic linemates doesn't hurt him, but we knew in Nashville he was very good. He could do it all himself. Coming to Pittsburgh, he had a run last year and then got injured. This year, he was totally lost, but now he is found. There's no way he's available in most leagues at this point, so all I can say is a hearty congratulations to anybody who held on to him all the way through or snagged him at just the right time when he began heating up
0: and of course credit where credit is due with a hot Patrick Hornquist comes a hot Sidney Crosby who has three goals and four assists in his last four games he kind of cooled down a little bit again after that amazing run when we talked about him last time on the show but he's producing and that of course helps Hornquist unfortunately I have Kunitz in the couple and he's off that line so that's too bad but playing with Malkin not too bad Penguins, always an exciting team to watch and talk about. Hard team to get players on in fantasy. Another team, maybe even hotter than the Penguins. This is a team I think we just talked about last week, so I just want to say it's still going. The Nashville Predators, one of the most potent offenses in the past couple of weeks. They have been on fire, and the guy leading the charge has been Philip Forsberg. We already talked about how great he was last week. Since then, he had three goals and assists against St. Louis. He had a goal and two assists against New Jersey, a goal and assist yesterday against Colorado. We're getting questions on the Facebook group now saying, how high do I draft Philip Forsberg next year? Is he like a top 20 guy? I don't know. I guess we probably shouldn't get into that now. But he's fantastic. But the guys on his line, Craig Smith and Mike Ribeiro, who we talked about last week, that have been doing well, maybe riding coattails or maybe just like along with Philip Forsberg, they're still keeping it up. And these are guys who are available in a lot of leagues. Ribeiro's only owned in 78% of ESPN leagues. Craig Smith only owned in 30% of leagues. I actually just picked both of them up in my cupful league because I like how they play on both Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Then I'll reassess it's the playoffs. You got to think short term like that. Craig Smith versus Mike Ribeiro is like a very interesting choice if you only have room for one of them because Craig Smith gives you the shots and maybe a better chance of goals. Ribeiro gives you a better chance at assists and power play points so it kind of depends what you're looking for. Both very intriguing options right now to me. Smith and Ribeiro,
1: good guys to be zeroing in on but I think that one thing to make sure you're cognizant of if you're taking the plunge with those guys is that they will go as far as Philip Forsberg takes them. Philip Forsberg is creating a ton of point-scoring opportunities in the last little while. He has 14 goals in his last 16 games, which is just unbelievable. Of course, there is a higher shooting percentage involved, but not a crazy higher one. So, while that whole line has been doing really well, you can expect some regression. As Forsberg's goal-scoring slows down a little bit, Ribeiro's and Smith's assists will slow down with it. However nothing totally insane is happening on that line. And I like them as long as they can stick together for reasonable, reliable production over the last month of the season.
0: And for those of you who have been really concerned about that top line, Ryan Johansson and James Neal and whoever fits in there, still Callie Yarncrock for the moment, you know, maybe you don't have to worry so much. They've even been heating up a bit as well. Of course, compared to Forsberg, it seems like nothing. But Ryan Johansson has two assists in his last three games. James Neal has two goals and assists in that span, so don't be too worried if you have Johansson and Neal. Mainly, you should be worried if you have a goalie playing against Nashville, because this team is scoring. They're getting hot at the perfect time. If you're making maybe bets on Stanley Cup sleepers, maybe now's the time to make a bet on the Nashville Predators. Speaking of goalies playing
1: in games that the Predators are playing, a good February for Pecorino. He had a 9.24 save percentage, which is miles ahead of anything he's carried all year long, aside from a good quick start in October. It's been a really dismal season for him, so some sunshine for Renee owners at that point. I don't know that he can continue it the rest of the year, but of course, a lot of scoring is going to help him at least rack up a few more wins
0: down the stretch. Another hotline that I want to talk about probably would have been better to talk about last week. They've cooled down a little bit, but we have yet to mention Stamkos, Callahan, and Killorn have really been tearing it up in Tampa Bay, and of course, Stamkos... Not a big surprise there. He has nine points in his last eight games. But along with him, Ryan Callahan, eight points in those eight games. Alex Killorn was six points in those eight games. Unfortunately, Callahan is pointless in his last three. Killorn has only one goal in his last three games. But playing with Steven Stankos is a great opportunity, as we've seen from the previous week. And they're also on the top power play with him of course, with Tampa, it's hard to tell what's the top power play. They both play around the same amount of time. You've got the Stamkos, Callahan, Killorn, and Philpula line, and then the Tyler Johnson, Nikita Kucherov, Andre Palat, and Mesnikov power play unit. And then, of course, Strahlman and Hedman are the defensemen on each of them. Point being, we're talking about guys you might want to stream for next week as you get into your fantasy playoffs. Tampa Bay plays four times next week. Really great opportunity to grab a Callahan or a Killorn because they are in a great position to score with Stamkos that even strengthen on the power play.
1: Right, but a similar caveat as there was with that Nashville line that they are riding Steven Stamkos' coattails. If Stephen Stamkos doesn't score, neither do they. Now, Steven Stamkos, his coattails are pretty good coattails to ride if you're looking relatively around the league, so that puts them in a good position. However, I feel like if a dry run lasts a couple games longer, there might not be a chance for them to stick on that line. Tampa might shuffle things up again to try and get things going because they do need production from that top line. To succeed in the playoffs... So if that line keeps sputtering, I don't think Tampa really is going to hesitate to shuffle things around once more so that they have the optimal lineup going into the postseason.
0: Right. So definitely for Callahan and Killorn, if you add them, you want to be keeping your browser refreshing on Diver Hockey's frozen pools for the Tampa Bay line combinations. Make sure they're actually still there playing with Stamkos. They obviously lose a ton of value, become waiver wire fodder if they move to like a third line. One more hot streak I wanted to mention, Brian, which actually coincides with an injury I forgot to mention from earlier. But in Vancouver, Ben Hutton, this is a guy who we talked about when Alex Edler got injured and we said there's going to be a new guy playing on the top power play with the Sedins. That has been Ben Hutton, and he has been really, really good. He's got five points in his last six games, all assists, four of them on the power play. So if your league counts power play points, which most of them do, this guy becomes really valuable. He's also been getting some blocks. The injury, though, is that Henrik Sedin got injured in the last game. We don't know how long he'll be out. Maybe that hurts Hutton's production. But still, top D minutes and top power play minutes in the NHL is always a recipe for success.
1: Unless you're Mike Green.
0: Yeah, I guess there are sometimes exceptions, though Mike Green does have two assists in his last two games, so maybe we called him a snoozer too soon, as it always seems to happen, but they were like secondary assists. I'm still not convinced about Mike Green. I'd rather have Ben Hutton right now. Is that crazy to say?
1: It's not crazy to say. Even with Henrik Sedin out, Ben Hutton is a good fantasy own right now in leagues that count blocks, especially because he's picking up his fair share of those while supplementing with the power play points you were just mentioning. Elon, in his last game against San Jose... He had almost eight minutes of power play time, and actually that only made up 60% of Vancouver's total share of power play minutes, but the point is that he did see 60% of Vancouver's total share of minutes on the power play, and he's been doing that for the last seven, eight games, essentially, after spending most of the season around the 40% mark. His time on ice has also crept right up to the 26 minute mark, two games ago he played 24 and a half last game 25 minutes a couple games before that, and the more minutes you play, the more opportunities for blocks, more opportunities for shots, and the more opportunities for points. With Sedine out that definitely hurts his value a little bit, but he's a really sneaky ad right now if you're looking for somebody to shore up your defensive situation.
0: Yeah, and of course, the Sedine injury is still up in the air. It's an upper body injury. We don't know if it's significant or not. Brian, we've talked about so many players on this episode that people might want to consider adding to their fantasy teams. Maybe we should end the show with a couple of players on cold streaks. I don't want to call them snoozers. I know that they'll bounce back as soon as I say this, but maybe people should be looking to drop Dylan Larkin. Is that crazy? You know, he has been pointless in his past 5 games and is currently playing on the third line in Detroit with Brad Richards and Andreas Athanasiou. Obviously, this is a guy with a huge pedigree and someone who's going to be a great keeper for years to come. But as far as this season goes, going into your fantasy playoffs, if you're in a one-year league, I don't know, Brian, I'm losing faith in Dylan Larkin having value this season. What do you think? Hopefully, to the Larkin owners, I'm just waking him up by asking the question.
1: It's a good question to ask, though, Elon, because like you said, he's on that third line. And if you look at his average ice time over the course of the season, it has slowly been dwindling. He started the season close to 17 minutes peaked at about 18 minutes, and since then has been declining about a minute at a time. In his last few games, he's averaging just about 15 minutes or less per game, which is not a great chance for him to keep putting up points the way he was at the start of the year. The silver lining for that, though, is even with decreased minutes, his shot rates, at least over his last 14-15 games, have still been pretty good. He's still putting up Almost three shots per game on average, which is what we want to see for good scoring opportunities. Playing with Brad Richards definitely does not present the same opportunity that he had with previous line mates this year. He has spent time with Bo Zetterberg and Datsuk. Time to definitely keep an eye on him. If he's not moving up the lineup and if his ice time stays the same, then you should be starting to consider other options. If you're in a non keeper, if you're in a keeper league, you gotta ride this out and hope he bounces back. He still hasn't even been too bad, managing to still score at about a half point per game pace recently. But of course, there are free agents who are on hotter streaks than that. So the temptation is there. Keep a close eye on him.
0: <laughs> what are you talking about? Half point per game pace. He's scoreless in five games. This is short term, Brian, I'm talking to now, I thought.
1: Okay, I was giving him a little more slack. I was giving him like 14, 15 games. But yes, in his last five games, nada
0: and then okay tell me now if i'm really crazy because if i'm saying you should consider dropping dylan larkin should i also be saying that you should be considering dropping henrik zetterberg because he has no points in his last six games henrik zetterberg This is the guy who you should be able to count on if he's healthy for almost a point per game. I'm embarrassed for having asked this. Like, he's still on a good line. He's playing with Pavel Datsyuk. He's on the top power play. But, man, just nothing to show for it, at least in terms of points. He's taking a decent amount of shots, I guess. But... Talk me off this ledge. I don't own Zetterberg, thankfully, but I'm sure there's Zetterberg owners who are very curious to hear what you'll say about this.
1: This is the second time this year that Henrik Zetterberg has been pointless in six consecutive games, which has generally been uncharted territory for him. Although last season, he was pointless in five games for a stretch towards the end of the year. It was at the end of March. In the year before that, he had no cold streaks that lasted nearly as long. Of course, he played significantly less games, only 45 games. So less opportunity to go cold for that many games at a time. But back to the issue at hand, he did bounce back quite well from the previous six-game pointless streak this year. I don't think that represents Henrik Zetterberg very well at all. I think he's still going to bounce back. Maybe the season is wearing on him a little bit. He's played 64 games, which is the second highest amount of games he's played in the last four years. He's 35 and a half years old, so there are a few things to think, well, maybe he can't quite be as consistent as he was before. That said, I think he's still got really good bounce back potential. I think you'd be pretty foolish to let go of Henrik Zetterberg at this point. Even though I definitely understand if you're looking at him and thinking, what are you doing for me right now? I need these points right away. Hang in there.
0: Yeah, I think that's like the purpose of our podcast. Like anyone could just look at the points and be like, oh, this guy hasn't been scoring. You should drop him. Zetterberg still taking shots, still on the top line, has the pedigree. This is the kind of guy that we have to say, dude, hold on hope for the best. Dylan Larkin, not so much, not on a great line. Zetterberg, you got to hold on to.
1: I'm going to throw out one potential name to replace Dylan Larkin in your lineup. Jack Eichel may have been dropped by some impatient owners. He was called for five games in a row and has been eh, so-so in terms of consistency this year, but he has three points in his last two games, 21 shots on goal in his last four games. If that's a category in your league, he could pretty much single-handedly put you over the top with that kind of pace. Come on, Brian.
0: Eichel's not available in anybody's league.
1: I don't know. I've seen a lot of questions from people (laughs) saying, should I drop him? Should I add him? I feel like he is more available right now than Dylan Larkin.
0: Well, Eichel is 100% owned in ESPN, but I'm sure that's rounding. So maybe there's a couple of leagues where you can get him. But since we're throwing out names of people to replace Dylan Larkin, we already mentioned so many, right? Like the McGinn's the Maroons, like, whoever. Like, we've said a whole bunch of people. I guess I could throw out... Hmm, man, we've already mentioned so many players. How about Valerie Nichushkin? He had a goal and an assist in Dallas' last game against New Jersey. He's the kind of guy that, you know, people add at their own risk. But hey, he's producing now, not playing with Ben and Sagan. So maybe that's something. Though one of the patrons posted on the Facebook group a question, what are the fantasy lessons you've learned this year? And one of the answers that people gave was not to go crazy and add Valerie Nichushkin on a whim taking a decent amount of shots on goal lately. But anyways, I think we've given you enough for this week. Hopefully, one of the players we've mentioned will fit onto your team. Hopefully, you will ride that player into the playoffs, take him all the way to your championship. Thank you for listening to another week of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. This has been a blast. Let us know if you like the show. You could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. You could also just follow us on Twitter. Brian likes to throw out little tidbits throughout the week. Last week, he retweeted a tweet about how Latang is actually seven points back of being the second in D man scoring with 10 to 12 less games played. Those are the fun tidbits you could get by following us on Twitter. You can also
1: find a picture of Eric Carlson next to Miko Koivu's name. <laughs> yeah,
0: exciting stuff. Also, if you could be so kind to give us a five star review on iTunes, we'd appreciate that. We haven't mentioned the patron program that much lately, but we are up to two patron casts a month right now until the end of the season so if you want two extra bonus a month plus access to our patron only facebook group you can check out keepingcarlson.com patron if you want that twenty dollars off your first ticket purchase at seatgeek don't forget to go to seatgeek and enter the offer code keeping brian i think that's everything i've got for this week so let's cue that outro music and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits?
1: This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from DauberHockey.com, Frozen Pool, War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Yahoo Sports, Roto World, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always, Brian. I'm sure we'll have a ton more to talk about next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.